1: I want to personally welcome you to this episode of Walking in Faith. In this podcast, we are continuing our study in Genesis by looking at chapters 4 and 5 as sin takes deep roots in the genealogy of Adam and Eve. Taking my place to deliver the message this week is our very own pastoral intern, Dustin Saunders. Dustin is a graduate of Biola University and is currently working on his Masters of Divinity at Talbot. He has a wonderful heart for the Lord and a passion for teaching Scripture, I hope you'll enjoy hearing God's message coming from this very gifted young man. And as always, we invite you to comment or send your questions on anything you hear to info at orangevilla.org. Till next week. May God continue to bless you richly and may you continue to seek his presence in his word.
2: So go ahead and turn to Genesis four. This morning we're going to be continuing in our series through Genesis, discovering what Genesis has to tell us about God. Who he is and how he interacts with his people, and what his character is. But before we continue, I wanted to look back at what we've seen so far in the last four four or so weeks. Some some different things we've seen about God. And in the first week, we saw God's power and His creativity in the creation of the world, as He commanded all sorts of things to come into being, and they came um, just by the word of His mouth. We saw God's grace as He gave responsibility to Adam and Eve to rule over creation and to take care of it. Then we saw God's judgment and justice as he dealt with Adam and Eve um, after the fall, but also God's mercy in dealing with Adam and Eve by slaying an animal to give them clothing um, and by promising an offspring that would conquer death and Satan. The first glimpse of the promise of Christ from the very beginning in Genesis 3.15, the first glimpse that the Lord himself would take care of their sin. And finally, we saw God's love and mercy when he removed them from the garden so that they would not remain forever in their sinful state. And so that's where we are this morning. Um, Adam and Eve have just been removed from the garden and are now living somewhere uh, east of Eden, somewhere outside of it. Uh, We will now see how the judgment upon humanity, which is death, will enter into the first family. And uh, the the sermon this morning is titled, uh, Sin Takes Its Root. And it's, it's titled that because just like a root um, is, is the, the base level of where a plant gets its nourishment. And uh, everything that comes through the root makes its way up into the plant. It's the same way with sin. And so we're going to see the first people who are born um, corrupted by sin, Cain and Abel. And just like a root, it's going to just come out. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. So go ahead and read with me in Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time... I'm sorry, we're just going to pause it for a second. Um, So what we see already is God's grace on them. Um, The Bible tells us that children are a blessing from the Lord, so the Lord is blessing them already. Um, He's given them two sons, Cain and Abel. And Eve says right now, it seems that Eve already thinks that this might be the promised son. Um, we now know that it's not. Um, and so let's continue in, in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Remember, Cain was a farmer. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So what we see is the two sons bring their offerings, each from their own respective work. Um, Cain brings his fruit from his farm. Abel brings... um, is a, a member of his flock because he's a shepherd. And so the obvious question that comes up right away is, well, why did God, God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's? Why? Um, at first glance, it might not be clear. But what we do know is it's not because of what they brought. Um, we know through later in the Old Testament that there are animal sacrifices. There's also grain sacrifices and fruit and food. So it's it's not in what they brought. So then what's the difference? Why was Cain... Rejected, while Abel was accepted, and we see a hint of the answer in verse four. Uh, we see in verse four um, that Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Another way to say that was he brought the fattest firstborn animal that he could find, um, the most valuable. And uh, he, in the New Testament book of Hebrews, um, we see further and we get um, a little more clarity. It says this in Hebrews eleven four. It says by faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. So we see here that Abel was accepted, his offering was accepted because of his faith. Uh, you see, Abel brought the best of what he had because it was what God deserves and God had commanded him. And so he trusted God enough to provide, even though it costed him. Cain, on the other hand, seems brought his offering without faith. Um... The text tells us that while Abel brought the fattest, best sheep he had, Cain just brought some of his crops. Um, not the best. He brought, it seems, out of duty rather than out of faith. You see, Cain brought what was acceptable in his own eyes rather than what was acceptable in the Lord's eyes. And Abel was accepted because of his faith. But isn't that how it is today too sometimes? Some of you are here out of faith because you love Jesus and his people. Your faith is in Him, and you come humbly. But some of you are here out of obligation, or out of guilt, um, or out of some sense that as long as you come to church, it's pleasing to God. But that is the mindset of Cain. Cain thought, as long as I just give the offering, it will be pleasing to God, it will get God off my case for a while, I'll be good. As long as I go to church this Sunday, pay my dues, I'm good for this week, God will be happy with me until next week. The problem is, is that's not how it works. And we see that in the text. Your actions are not enough to make peace with God, to please God. You see, because as humans, we like to look at what's on the outside and and that's what we judge by. But it's clear here that faith is what pleases God. Giving offerings to God does nothing without faith. Coming to church every week does nothing without faith. It doesn't make you right with God. Isaiah tells us that our good works are like filthy rags before the Lord without faith. The book of Hebrews tells us that without faith, no one pleases God. See, Abel had faith in God, and his actions showed it. Cain had no trust in God; he had no faith. He thought that his actions were good enough. But as we continue to think about that, um, do you trust the Lord, or are you just trying to make it look like you do? Are you are you just trying to do the outward actions of faith? You see, without faith in Jesus, there's no salvation. Um, Anyone can do good works on the outside. Um, But we see with faith there is salvation in Jesus. So pray that the Lord would change your heart in this matter. And so as we continue, we see God's response to Cain. We see God's mercy immediately. God is patient with Cain. He He can see Cain's anger on his face. He sees sin brewing in Cain's heart. And so lovingly the Lord warns him. It seems as if the Lord says, "Cain, why are you angry? You know what you did. You know that you did not do what you were supposed to do. Cain, listen to me. Follow me and you will be accepted." The Lord encourages Cain and warns him of the imminent danger of his sin. "Cain," he says, "sin is near to you. It's waiting for you. It's desiring you. You must master it. You see the line is drawn. Cain can now go after God or go after sin. There are only two options." Submitting to God or submitting to sin? The same is true for you and me. Will my life, will your life be submitted to yourself or to your, and to sin or submitted to Christ? When Jesus walked on the earth, he said the same thing. He repeatedly made this clear. Um, he said there, there are only two paths. Two paths. One leads to destruction and one to life. And so which will Cain take? Um, let's read on. Genesis 4, 8 says this, So Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And So Cain chooses sin. He chose to ignore God's warning. God's warning to him had just finished and Cain is already planning the murder of his own brother. Think about this more deeply for a second. Cain hadn't been raised on violent movies or violent video games. He wasn't raised in a violent neighborhood. Most likely, he had never seen a human killed before. His murder of Abel was out of pure jealousy and hatred. It was unadulterated sin. He threw God's warning to the side, submitted to his own desires, and struck down one of God's own beautiful creations for the first time. This is the result of unbelief. See, Cain had no faith. Cain didn't trust the Lord. Cain believed that he deserved to be favored for his own reasons. And so the Lord now comes down to meet with Cain. After hearing the voice of Abel's blood crying out to him, what does Cain do when the Lord comes down? Cain lies to God. Cain rejects the idea that he should care for his brother. And by the way, that question, what am I, my brother's keeper? The obvious answer is, yes, you are, Cain. Um... So the fact that he even asked that question is already seeming a little ridiculous. Um, you see, Cain does not even repent at this point. Compare Cain's response for a second to that of King David. King David had murdered and committed adultery, remember, with Bathsheba and her husband. He slept with her and then killed her husband. Um, but what did he do? He cried to God for forgiveness. David cried out for a new heart. David threw himself on the mercy of God. Listen to David's prayer in Psalm 51. And as we listen to this, think of how different it is from Cain's response to God. These are the words of David. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified, you may be right in your words and blameless in your judgment against me. You see, David turned to the Lord in his sin, acknowledging his sinfulness and pleading with God for mercy. David says, God, you are right in judging me guilty. And the Lord was merciful with David. But you see, Cain turned away from God refusing to acknowledge his sin. Cain says, I didn't do anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Even after the Lord had cursed Cain, he could have turned to the Lord. The Lord punished David for what he did, but David still repented. He could have repented and humbled himself like David, but no, he simply complains that the consequences, the punishment is too much for him. And even in all of this, the lying and the murdering, the Lord is merciful to Cain, He promises him protection. He marks him so that no one will harm him. And some people might ask, well, what was the mark? Um, People come up with all sorts of crazy theories. Um, But the simple answer is the Bible doesn't tell us what the mark of Cain was. Um, All we know is that it was something that would made it so that no one would attack Cain. It was a merciful gift from the Lord. God is faithful to Cain even in Cain's unfaithfulness. And we see, we see this even after Cain leaves his family, after he departs um, and, and wanders. But notice as we go through the rest of the story, as we hear about Cain's family and his descendants, there is no mention of God in this family line. We continue in verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. So Cain's family is flourishing on the earth. Seems they're prosperous. But again, there's no mention of the Lord. This is another great example of why we don't judge a person's relationship with God based on their wealth or success. Clearly Cain's family was successful. But clearly they wandered farther and farther from the Lord. We see this even in uh, in Lamech has now married two wives, which is a, de- a departure from the original plan. And we see, we see this them moving farther and farther from the Lord, especially in Cain's descendant Lamech. You see, Cain was a liar and a murderer, as we've seen. And now sin has taken root so deeply in humanity that his great-great-great-grandson Lamech is now singing a song praising his sin and praising himself. Genesis 4.23, it says this, Lamech said to his two wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So we see through sin, marriage has been distorted into polygamy. Where once two, two were to become one flesh, Lamech says, no, I want more. Lamech boasts of his violence and murder. He says, I kill a man just for him touching me. Cain denied his sin, Lamech sings praises of it. Lamech claims to be stronger than the Lord. For who was the one that was going to revenge Cain sevenfold? It was the Lord. And Lamech said sevenfold. Lamech's revenge is seventy-sevenfold. You see, humanity seems to be on a downward spiral. But even in the midst of this, we see a glimmer of hope. In verse 25, right after that, it says this. We hear of Adam's family. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. And here's the glimmer of hope. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, though Cain's family had strayed far from God, there's a glimmer of hope in Seth's family. And really, this is what the entire Old Testament is about. The entire Old Testament is about becoming Messiah the coming of that promised offspring of Genesis 3.15. It's about humanity waiting eagerly for the promised one, the promised redeemer that we heard of. This Messiah was the one promised who would once and for all deal with humanity's death problem. From Adam's first sin, death became a reality to all humans. We are powerless against it. We all will die. And that is what the genealogy shows us about Adam's family that we're going to get to next in chapter 5. Man who was created to be immortal is now fallen and will die. You and I will one day die. But again, even in this genealogy, even in the story of Adam's family and the death that now is with them, we see another glimmer of hope. And before we get into the genealogy, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about genealogies. You see, chapter 5 is the story of Adam's family. It's a genealogy. And normally what do we do when we come to genealogies in the Bible? Well, skip that. Don't need that. Boring, right? Um, But while they might not always be the most exciting thing, they are extremely important, especially this one. Think of the genealogy, for example, in the beginning of the book of Matthew. Um, It details the lineage of Jesus and proves that he is the rightful heir to the throne of David. Connects him all the way back to Adam. This would have been extremely important to any Jew who was wanting to know if he really was the Messiah or not. Because they knew the Messiah had to be an heir to the throne of David. So just like that genealogy has a point why it's in the text, this one is here for a reason too. It's here to show us what happened to Adam's family. The theme? Death. They all died. That's the point. This human race, which was supposed to live in harmony with God, in innocence, now dies. That's the emphasis. Adam, dead. Methuselah, dead. This is unusual for a genealogy. Most genealogies just say, you know, so-and-so, fathered so-and-so, fathered so-and-so, fathered so-and-so. So -so." So as we read through it, try to feel the emphasis of death. And as you see, even in the emphasis of death, um, see if you can catch the glimmer of hope that we'll see. And also bear with me on the pronunciation of some of these names. Chapter 5 says this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. Let me just pause real quick and say something about the ages. Some of these ages are extremely long. Um, We don't really, there's no concrete answer as to why they live so long. There's a lot of different theories. Um, uh, But the closest thing I think we can say is that As we continue to get farther and farther in history from the fall, it seems that the ages get shorter and shorter. Um, So don't let that be a stumbling block. So, okay, verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Kenan lived, after he fathered Mahalalel, 840 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived, after he fathered Jared, 830 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. A break in the pattern. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. This is a different Lamech than the other one. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. And he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son. And he called and called his name Noah. Saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You see, amidst the reign of death, there is hope. Enoch shows a glimmer of hope in that somehow death does not have to be a reality. It says God took him. This only happened to one other person in the Bible, the prophet Elijah. You see, through faith, it says Enoch walked with God and pleased God uh, in Hebrews. Through faith, it tells us, Enoch escaped death. God took him as a sign to us. Through faith, death can be avoided. And through Noah, we learn the bloodline of the Messiah is preserved. He is on the way. God is holy, just, gracious, and loving. We all have this hope. We live today on the other side of the coming of the Messiah. You see, they were waiting for this promised one. We now know who he is. We stand after his coming. We stand and look back at Cain and at his pride and at his family and their sin, and we say, what a fool. How could he do those horrible things? But the reality is, in the story, we are Cain. We are not able. We are included in the number who have turned aside from God. In the book of Romans, Paul says that all of humanity has turned from God. And we are guilty before him because we have fallen short of a holy God. we 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 all have evil in our hearts. You see, it may not feel like that, but when compared to a holy, just, and perfect God, we fall very short. In the book of 1 John, the apostle John says that if we say we have no sin, we call God a liar. You see, God in his holiness, in his justice... And his goodness would be right to condemn us all. But that's not the end of the story. Because remember, God promised a solution to the problem. You see, God knew that we could never take care of this on our own. He knew we could never take care of our problem of sin, our problem of death. So God came and did it himself. The promised offspring of Genesis 3.15 has come and his name is Jesus. While Abel's blood cried out for vengeance against Cain and justice, Jesus' blood cries out forgiveness. God fulfilled his promise that he would be the one to take care of our problem. He would deal with sin and death himself. He lived a perfect, Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, and yet he offered himself up to be crucified, to be killed, to be killed by sinful men. On that cross, he took our sins upon himself. In 1 Corinthians, Apostle Paul says he became sin. 2 Corinthians. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He bore the wrath of Almighty God so that we might be righteous before him and gain eternal life. Jesus was buried. He was dead. But on the third day, he rose victorious over death and sin. He conquered death. He now reigns and is coming again. You see, just as Enoch escaped death by God taking him, as Elijah escaped death by God taking him, Jesus, we now know how they did that. Jesus reigns over death. He conquers death and sin once and for all and provides us with a path to life. You see, as we saw earlier, there are only two paths. One is with Christ. The other is not. One leads to life. One leads to destruction and death. As God warned Cain, so he also warns us. So what makes the difference? The difference is faith, just like we saw in the offerings of Cain and Abel. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians that faith is a gift. Well, then what's the answer? Some of us here have faith, some of us don't. If you're here today and you don't have faith, cry out to God for that. He's a good God, and he says he will not turn away anyone who comes to him. So if you trust Christ, if his life is yours. If your faith is in Christ, death is swallowed up in victory, as the scripture tells us. Death has lost its sting. The apostle Paul even goes so far to say that for those who are in Christ, death is gain, because we will go to be with the Lord. And we will one day stand in victory with him. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven by Christ's blood, you have the living God, just as Jeff explained earlier, you have the power of the living God dwelling inside you, the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Continue to run the race. Continue to fight sin. And just a little plug for our Sunday school class at 10 o'clock on Sundays, that's exactly what we're talking about, fighting sin and how that um, plays out in a believer's life. But if you are trusting in yourself, in your own goodness, in your own good works, in your church attendance, um, in your kindness. If you think that God is going to accept you uh, because you accept you, God is warning you just as he warned Cain. Without faith, you cannot be made right with God. Judgment is coming. It's clear in the Bible. But the call has gone out. It's called the gospel. It says, turn to him because the offer of his grace is open to everyone. It doesn't matter what you've done, um, doesn't, but just turn to him and repent. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. I love that song we sang, Who Am I? Not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. And that just sums up the gospel so beautifully. It's not in your own works. It's not in your trying. It's not in how good you think you're doing. But it's in throwing yourself on the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. You see, his blood was shed so that humanity would not have to die. So I urge you, do not let another day go by. Don't do what Cain did. Do what Cain did not have the sense to do. Turn to Jesus Christ. Humble yourself. Acknowledge your sinful state. Turn from it and enter into the loving, saving grace of God. See, God has offered newness of life, eternal life, escape from death, and everlasting joy to all who will trust in him. So believe the good news. Believe in Jesus and receive new life today. If you need prayer or anything like that, we'll, um, we'll be down here in the, beginning, in the end of the service. Um, just go ahead and pray with me. Lord, thank you. I thank you for your word, God. Um, I thank you that we can see your faithfulness from the very beginning of the Bible, Lord. We're in the third chapter of this great book, Lord. You have already promised to take care of our problem of death, Lord. And in the last chapter, we see you victorious, uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, God. I thank you for the message of the gospel. I thank you for sending your son for us, Lord. That you don't expect us to take care of it ourselves, Lord, but you, knowing that we were dead in our sins, could do nothing, have made a way for us, God. I thank you for pouring out your wrath on Jesus on the cross, God. Um, and Lord, I ask that you would continue to reveal more and more of how much that cost you and how much that means. And God, I ask that you would um, be with the people in this room who trust you, God. That you would affirm their salvation in them, God. That you would encourage them. That your spirit would give them peace. And that they would not be discouraged of their sin, Lord. But would be encouraged and would continue um, to run the race, Lord. And I ask for anyone here who's not a believer, Lord. That you would, you would prompt them. That you would draw them to yourself, God. That you would open their heart, Lord. That you would smash their pride, God. Um, and let them humbly come to you. And Lord, that in that you would grant them forgiveness, mercy, love, and joy, God. Joy of new life, joy of salvation, God. And joy of peace with you and a relationship with you, God, that will last forever. And so, God, uh, this morning as we take communion, I just ask that we would keep these things on our mind and that we would come humbly to you, Lord. Thank you for everything you've done, God. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkininfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org.